What up, what up, everybody? This is Double G, the co-host of the Fight Game Podcast. This podcast is a pre-recorded show from a couple of years ago that John and I did when we were trying to record a second podcast called We Want Flair. And that podcast was a deep dive into matches and angles of the nature boy we actually recorded three episodes this is the first one and you'll hear the other two in the next coming weeks and the reason why i put these up is or that i want to put these up is because we are going to bring back the we want flare podcast but it's going to be told weekly with a month the with the month being the culmination the beginning and the end will be told during the entire month sort of how we're doing the 93 raws where we cover an episode for a week but in this case we are covering a segment of the we want flare podcast of a monthly storytelling so this podcast was about two years ago and the audio is a little bit rough. This is, you know, we were mostly doing stuff through Skype. I've touched up a bit, but the only way to make it sound great is if we would have re-recorded it with the new technology that we have and equipment. And, you know, we, we can't do that. Um, so this first one is a deep dive on a Ric Flair versus Brian Pillman match. This is one of John's sort of favorite underrated gems. And we use this one as the guinea pig. And a funny story is that we actually recorded this one twice because I was using an older recorder. Uh, we didn't use a microphone. We used the internal mic on the recorder and it there, there was something wrong and we just could not fix it. So we had to record it a second time. So Again, the sound is going to be a little different. We're over Skype. We're over a phone. We're not in the same room. Um, but we've sort of figured that out, how to do that type of show better now. So this this audio is a little bit rough, but I think you'll get the idea. It's Ric Flair, Brian Pillman. Um, I won't tell you which one because there's a couple, but uh, this, is, this is one of John's favorites. So um, take a listen. Get us, Give us some feedback. Uh, we're going to put together a list of all of the We Want Flair uh, angles f- from January through about June. We'll put that up and we'll create that list sometime. The first two, though, I have the first two and they are around uh, the Flair Fujinami matches, one from the uh, the show, the, 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 uh, in, in, <clears throat> in Japan, they called it Starcade. Uh, and then the one after that, I think it was Super Brawl. So we're, those are going to be the first two months, but then we'll lay out the rest of the four for the six. Then at some point, we'll do the rest as if this podcast goes the way that we want. So enjoy, take a listen, and let's get started. Finally, John, we're here. We made it. The We Want Flair podcast is finally being recorded after many delays and even a a test show that wasn't meant to be a test show. Um, But we are here. We are ready to record the very first episode of the We Want Flair podcast. John LaRocca is my co-host for this podcast. What's going on, John? Uh, not much, man. Looking forward to talking to some Ric Flair. And describe uh, your Ric Flair fandom. Uh, what was he? Was he your favorite guy growing up? Did you kind of come into to, to watching him as as you got older? Uh, you know, what what was it like watching watching uh, the Nature Boy? Well, when it came to like the first guy I really liked was actually Lex Luger. <laughs> and, <laughs> You're a body uh, guy. I also like. 
Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> but I also like uh, Rick Flair too. I like everyone. Like I was more of a, I was kind of a weird fan. I never really didn't really dislike a lot of people. Like I just loved everything about wrestling. So I mean, there's certain guys, of course, I wasn't like excited to see. Like I never wanted to really watch Virgil wrestle. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> something like that. Or but you know, like you have guys that you're just like okay, but um, you know, let's get this over with. But but you know, I like pretty much everyone, and uh, you know, Rick Flair was a champ and he presented himself as a champion. I believe that he was a champion and like, and I just love, I just fell in love with the importance of a championship through Ric Flair. And I, and I use that during my booking. Um, it's all because of Ric Flair because how he was presented as a champion, how important it was to win the championship from him and how important to defend it. And, uh, he embodied all that. So, so I just like, it was, he was amazing. He had this long blonde hair. He had this attitude, the suits. I mean, everyone that talks about Ric Flair is going to say the same thing. What, what, what they liked about his promos, interviews, like every young male man wanted to be Ric Flair. So, um, and I was, I was also one of those guys too. So, um, yeah, so I was pretty, I enjoyed his matches. It was always fun to watch him either as a baby face or the heel, preferably the heel, but like he, he was, always fantastic and his feud with Terry Funk like first off the Steamboat series but like that feud with Terry Funk I remember just being like engulfed in that feud like I I believe they hate each other and they have probably they wrestled probably the greatest match I've ever seen in my life which is the I Quit match from Clash Champions 9 and like that match I still watch it today and it's just so intense so violent and like you just feel the hatred and which is missing a lot in wrestling today. And, um, yeah, so I'm a huge fan of Ric Flair. And, and, and those are two, uh, two matches or, or even series of matches and angles that, you know, at some point we will probably tackle down the line, but you know, those are the ones that, that a lot of people know very well. And, uh, and, yeah. and, you know, we'll probably get to them eventually, but we may, we may do some stuff that, you know, may not as be, be as highly publicized or as high, as memorable just to, you know, just because, uh, you know, the, it's, it's there's not really stuff about these these matches at least the early ones that we're going to do that's out there um so we would like to do them do these podcasts you know probably less frequently than normal podcasts i, I don't see us doing it any more than once a month but a lot of it is going to be dependent on how you know you and i getting together in person because like i said we want to do these in person so that they sound uh, really really good um and and so you know once a month, maybe, maybe a little bit longer than that, depending. And, uh, and, and, but you know, we, we, we will, we will try to do as many as we can, um, after, after this one. So, okay. So what's the match? We, we, we kind of gave you a long introduction. What's the match that we're going to talk about today? So the first match we would like to talk about is Ric Flair and Brian Pillman's first matchup, um, February 17th. 1990 WCW Saturday night. So there was a, there's a recent, uh, a new book, depending on when you listen to this, uh, by, um, uh, Liam O'Rourke called crazy like a Fox. It's about Brian Pillman. And with that book being out, uh, it, it gave me uh, an opportunity to kind of just revisit a lot of the Pillman stuff. And, and this match is, is a match that you often, would uh, would talk about and so I thought you know this is perfect let's talk about Pillman and Flair their first match 
and uh, you know, and give a little bit of information about Brian Pillman himself. Um, just being that you know the book is out, and so Pillman at this point in 1990. He's about three years in the game, so still very young in, in wrestling. Um, and people who, who don't know Brian Pillman's uh, story, he was a, a great collegiate football player. Um, very small guy, but because of his, uh, you know, sort of his tenacity and, and probably as well because of his, uh, his access to, uh, to some steroids uh, to get bigger, you know, he, he actually built himself into a, a football player who could play at that level. Um, and uh, he even made a, an NFL team with the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, and was like, you know, sort of like a, a fan favorite and even like a, a favorite in the locker room because of, you know, just, you know, just people saw him as a guy who, who just didn't quit, had a motor, uh, was crazy, you know, that just like the title, crazy like Fox. And uh, there's even a story in, in the book where, and, and I didn't know this, that um, in 1985, uh, he tried to make the Buffalo Bills team and supposedly had made the team at a training camp, but... Uh, is cut really late in the training camp because they found that he was juicing and they didn't want, you know, they didn't want that to get out that, you know, pro football players were juicing, you know, at that point. So uh, they cut him mostly for that reason. So he turns, he turns to wrestling. He's got an in, a little bit of an in with, uh, with Kim Wood, who was the Cincinnati Bengals uh, trainer at that point. And Kim Woods was, uh, you know, was a wrestling fan. He, he read the Wrestling Observer. Um, and he, he gives Brian, you know, some advice on how to get in the business. Uh, so Brian uh, joins uh, the, the Hearts. Uh, and that, and uh, that leads him to Stampede Wrestling as a part of the team of he and Bruce Hart mm-hmm. in Bad Company. And now my first question to you, John, is because I have I've seen very little of this stuff. But the funny thing to me is looking at Brian Pillman as a very young, uh, fit, attractive dude uh, in a tag team with someone who does not fit those uh, th- those descriptions in, in Bruce Hart. Now, is is this is this Bruce Hart using Pillman to kind of uh, ha- have a little bit of a rejuvenation, or is it is it Pillman using Bruce Hart for his mentorship? Like, what was this tag team like? And, and how did they fit together? I'm sure it's a little bit of both, right? I mean, Bruce is using Brian to kind of get this, be the uh, kind of get the rub of the sexy young guy on him, and and the youthful legs of Brian can do all the all the big high flying stuff. And they were very popular attacking in Calgary. I mean, it was during the dying days. It was, it was during the the rebirth of Calgary, which didn't last long. I mean, they had some good wrestling, no doubt. You know. Guys like Chris Benoit and Johnny Smith, et cetera, Pillman, Rip Rogers, a lot of guys. And um, it was a good territory, but, you know, not a high-paying territory. It didn't last too long. And uh, they were a good team. And you could tell, like, you can watch those old footage, you could tell how, like, even though he was green, you could tell, like, Brian Pillman had something. And uh, and uh, Bruce, you know, he's still hanging on and, let the young kid do a lot of the work and the selling. He'd make the hot tag and he'd look great. <laughs> and so, uh, Pillman, I think he, he realizes that not that he's really outgrown the territory, but that he ha- if he's going to get any better, he's going to move on. He doesn't want to become a stampede lifer. He actually wants to have a future in, uh, with, with a, a bigger company. 
and I think he even realizes it getting in a, in a fight backstage that was kind of set up for him to to lose and uh, he actually wins the fight but at that point realizes like okay I need to get out of here and so in 1989 debuts in WCW and so this is you know by the time he actually has this match with Flair he hadn't even been in WCW for a full year and there there's a little bit of a mentorship that happens uh Flair kind of takes him under his wing a little bit um and, you know, Pillman becomes a drinking buddy and he's kind of out with, you know, with Nature Boy. And it even it even follows up in, in storyline in that Flair, you know, is sort of a taken a liking to the young newcomer. Um, what do you think that Flair saw in Pillman that made him, you know, want to want to kind of be that mentor for him? I think he saw like a younger, younger himself, you know, like uh, you know, Pillman, well, he likes Flair liked athletes and respected his athletic background. You know, Pillman was a hard worker in the ring, just like Ric Flair was. And other than the high flying, like, they really had a similar style, like, intense. Uh, Pillman started adopting the knife edge chops. Um, I really wish they would have focused more on that that mentor, that mentor protege angle with them. They, they, they did like a couple interviews, but it was never really focused on other than Jim Ross would bring it up, you know, during pillar matches, but it wasn't like harped on to where like it was, you know, back there in that day, it was flair in, in, in the summer, the summer fall of 89, it was flair and thing versus the JTEX Corp, which is, you know, Gary Hart's group of Terry Funk, the great Muda, the dragon master later on, uh, Bud Sawyer. And, um, it was mostly flair and sting, you know, Net, you know, very, very rare there was like six man tags or anything with Pillman, at least on TV from what I saw. And so um, I think he would have had a little more oomph during leading up this match. But as a kid, I devoured, you know, I devoured everything that they was throwing. So even those two little promos they did, or two or three promos they did, or interviews they did together, Flair and Pillman, I was like, when the turn happened and, and everything, and, and I was like, in it you know like i was in it personally but i think it it would have been a lot better they would have focused on just a little bit more but Mm -hmm. that's just me being nitpicky now you know And, and, and so like you said it wasn't really pushed that hard that that he was uh that he was his mentor and there were a couple of moments where uh you would see pillman come in um so Pillman, uh, the, the, there's I, I don't remember what what show this was in, and I know you're going to remember. But Pillman helps uh, Flair and Sting uh, stave off, uh, you know, Funk Muda and, and Dick Slater. Um, and then there's another opportunity in the in the infamous um, Flair and Funk deal with uh, with the paper bag over Ric Flair's head, where you see Pillman come and and save Flair as well. Uh, it was pretty subtle, but. Um, you know, it just uh, it, it was it was enough of a tease to where, as a fan, you're like, "Huh?" Like, I like the fact that this young guy is is, is on the team with you know these two babyface superstars. Yeah, yeah, I, I liked it a lot. I mean, because uh, when when Tillman debuted in in WCW, like I was super excited because I never seen a guy that can do that kind of high flying. You know, I mean, high flying before that for me was. Jimmy Snuka's flying splash at the top rope or Macho Man Randy Savage is flying elbow at the top rope or double axe handle off the top rope. So I've never like seen a guy like that could do like a springboard clothesline from like the middle of the ring 
And I thought that was so cool and unique. And he had that really high drop kick. And um, so, I mean, I, I was a big Brian Pillman fan when he debuted, and I was really behind him. And, and he ended up having a great series of matches with Lex Luger for the United States Championship. Uh, the first one was a Holland Havoc 89, which is a really good match. Followed up by another really good match at Clash, at Clash Champions 9, the same, the same show with Flair and Funk. I quit match. And, um, like, he just felt like this kid was coming up. But then they kind of switched gears with him. They decided to go the route with the tag team, with Tom Zink and Brian Pillman, trying to capitalize on, like, the Rock and Roll Express kind of a vibe with the young, getting the young ladies. And, and you know, that's not a bad idea. I and mean, I thought that was actually a pretty good idea. But um, I think if that didn't happen, they, they, if, they, if they didn't do that, then I think we would have probably seen a little more flair, Pillman, the mentorship part of the storyline more. And so let's go back to that Pillman and Luger match at Halloween Havoc because it was it was really Brian's first opportunity to be you know it would be matched up with with some of the bigger stars uh, and and to see him wrestle and to see if he could wrestle right to see if he could go toe to toe with some of these guys on a big stage and in in I think it was in uh, O'Rourke's book he said that, you know, Luger took this as sort of like a, oh yeah, you know, now, now I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to show everyone, you know, how good I am or whatever. And, and when coming out of the match, you know, Luger was, Luger was good too. But I think the surprise was how good Pillman was in that moment. Uh, again, being very young in, in the business and uh, on the big stage and with, you know, one of their top three stars and holding his own and, uh, and and having such a good match, uh, what what are your memories of that match and uh, and, and just sort of that the, 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 you know that short feud that they had? You know, this is Luger maybe at his best uh, as a heel, and and you know they have a, they have a you know a short feud, but but very memorable. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they were really good, memorable series of matches. And which is interesting to think about this, like in 89, like Luger's only been wrestling for like three years too, you know, which is kind of crazy to think about. You need to always, you know, just, I don't know, just like he was such a, a young gun prospect too himself. And he's, you know, wrestled series of matches with flair. And I think Luger was really, he's really motivated with this heel turn in 89. And you can tell like in his matches, like he learned a lot from the step working with flair in the series in 88, like how to work as a heel. And, and he just had a great chemistry with Brian and Brian was the perfect base face for him. You know, he's fighting from behind. He showed a lot of heart, you know, it was power versus speed. There's all this really good elements in their matches. And, uh, it, it took people, people by surprise. I don't think people thought it was going to be the one of the best matches of the night and it ended up being the one of the best matches of the night. And, uh, I'm probably to go back and now I'm curious to watch those matches again, back to back to kind of figure out which one I like better because I always, I really do like the class champions match a lot. And I, th- I just thought it was uh, really good, but it's also probably shorter because it's on TV. They probably have less time. So they're going a little faster, but I like to watch, rewatch those matches back to back. And, um, but yeah, I mean, it, I, I remember being scared because I was like a huge Luger fan. <laughs> I didn't want Luger to lose the United States championship to Brian Pillman. And I was just like terrified that he was going to lose the title. I just didn't want Luger to lose. And then, uh, and I, I really thought it was going to happen at clash nine. I just felt like it was going to happen. Pillman was taking just a lot of that match. And, 
and eventually there's a ref bump and, and Luger goes over and then Steen comes, Luger puts him in the torture rack to give him after the bell and Steen comes save them. I'm like, no, no. <laughs> you know, I was like freaking out. And, uh, but man, yeah, that was a good time. I love 1989. That was probably one of my favorite years of watching wrestling for sure. Okay. So, um, Right before uh, this match on uh, on WCW Saturday Night, the the big angle is, uh, you know, we we've kind of alluded to it, which is Ric Flair uh, turns on Sting at the at the Clash of the Champions. Um, Ole Anderson cuts the tremendous promo. Sting is just like, you know, this how how you know this is not really fair, and you know I'm with Sting going like, man, this is this isn't really fair. But then again, you know, this is a four horsemen, man. You know, you don't, you, you can't trust four horsemen. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I bought this angle, hook, line, and sinker. I thought it was great. And uh, then, you know, as they, as they shoot the uh, sort of like the go home before the pay per view, the, the last big thing, Sting tears up his knee. So he is out of the match, which was going to be at Russell War, um, Sting against Flair at Russell War '91, and um, all of a sudden. You know they they now have to create a contender and and you know there are a couple out a couple ideas and and of course they go with Luger which means they have to turn Luger back to babyface and uh, and he becomes the opponent for Russell War ninety one and so right before Russell War ninety one is this match is WCW Saturday Night and it's uh, and it's uh, uh, an interesting uh, if you if you look look back on it and. and I watched the interview, which precedes the match, and it's actually Flair calling out Pillman. I mean, Pillman wants to know why Flair did what he did, and and Flair challenges Pillman to the match on on, on the uh, on the interview. Flair comes out with Woman, um, and and you know definitely sort of like the, this is here's here's the new not not the new but sort of the reinvented uh, uh, you know dirtiest player in the game, and um, and so. Flair, uh, the, the thing that I really liked about this promo is, um, you know, even in, you know, sort of dirty Flair and, and, you know, why did you turn your back on me? Flair's still putting Pillman over. He's like, you know, yeah. you played for the Bengals, you know, and he brings up the name of Boomer Esiason, who was, you know, one of the top quarterbacks in, in, in football back then. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, woman says that Brian doesn't know the difference between men and boys. And then that's when Flair challenges Pillman to the match later in the show. What, what did you, what, what were your memories of, of this promo and, 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 you know, seeing, um, it was a quick, sort of a hot shot, right? It was, it was, the, this wasn't really a, a planned thing and they kind of hot shotted the match to, or hot shotted everything to, to build to the match at the end of the show. Yeah. I mean, I, I, um, I, I loved it. I remember being excited when I saw it and I just, I remember when Flair and woman finally hooked up, um, they kind of teased it, um, back in January during a Louisville, Louisville slug with Jim Cornette interview where she came out and offered her services and he kind of denied her and the Ric Flair cool slick Rick faction, uh, <laughs> slick Rick, you know, his, the way he does, you know, his, fashion the way he does it and uh it was uh so they kind of teased that so when they put them together i was like oh man because i thought you know woman was woman i thought she was fantastic and then two together it, they made a great combo and you know Pim was upset his friend was 
hurt and was beat up by they 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 said they didn't say it's Sting you know, tore his knee as he jumped on the cage. Of course, the the angle was they jumped him after the class championship. Right? There's no video footage of it, and that's what they. And now he's out of the, the Wrestle War match, and he's out of wrestling for an undisclosed amount of time. So, I mean, that, that crowd at uh, Gainesville, Georgia was so hot. And when they announced that match and Flair and they filmed us up to that match, they're ready for it. And then they ended up having the classic. And so it's a non-title match. Um, the other thing surrounding uh, this show was that Lex Luger had to accept the match um, with, with Flair for the title. Decline it. Decline the match. Or decline the match. Decline the match. Um, so, so that was sort of, you know, that's, that's what they were building up to as well in storyline. And, uh, and the pretty famous story, uh, for, you know, for, for, of wrestling lore was that because it was non-title Flair actually wanted to lose this match to Pillman, but had to be talked out of it, um, by Kevin Sullivan. And, uh, and, and, you know, I think it was probably for, for the, for the better because Flair had to then defend the title at the pay-per-view the next week. And, you know, you don't want the champion coming, you know, coming, uh, coming out of there, uh, out of that show, uh, uh, weaker than going into it. Um, what, what do you think would have, like, do you think anything would have, like, if, if Flair loses that match, uh, does anything change, you know, does, does, Pillman get any hotter than he was? Does Flair go into the show weaker? Like, did, like, what would have happened if Flair actually did lose that match? You think? Well, I'm pretty sure Pillman would get hotter after that because you know beating Ric Flair at that time meant something. You know, Ric Flair really didn't lose on live TV often, or actually very rare. You know, so um, so yeah, it would have made him. But it's it's Kevin Sullivan's right, like. Flair cannot lose that match, especially as a pay-per-view match in a couple weeks with Rick, with uh, with Lex Luger. So, I mean, if you're going to do Pillman over Flair, you probably should do that match at Wrestle War as well, which I think they should have done, but you know, that's a whole other story. So, um, they did an all-time number of viewers for that TV show for this match. So that the, the you know mm-hmm. it, it was very uh very interesting to their to their uh, television crowd and i I don't actually know how that would have worked back then um you know i i imagine there was a lot of calling on the uh, on the landline telephone going hey you need to turn on wrestling because brian pillman's (laughs) gonna face rick flair in the you know uh, 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 later in the in the show i imagine that's how that stuff happened because i i mean that's how it would happen when i was a kid and you know, if I forgot to turn on Clash, my buddy would call me and go, hey, don't forget, you know, Ric Flair is wrestling Terry Funk tonight. And I, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I got to turn it on. So, um, so we get to the match, and, and the first thing that I cracked up on is uh, on the ring posts is the advertisement for the old shoe, Ruse, that WCW was always pushing on us. Oh, yeah. I mean, the shoes for your feet, pocket for your stuff, man. It was the best. Well, man, I never had any ruse. I can never find them anywhere. I think they're only sold in St. Louis because, uh, or Missouri area, because I think uh, the story is that the ruse company was like a friend of Jim Hers. That's how they got the sponsorship. But they were like these shoes that had pockets, but they're like really tiny pockets where I don't know what you'd carry in them, like an extra key or some change or whatever but they did have some awesome commercials i remember those commercials road warriors in the junkyard beat stuff up saying ruse luger 
has their own commercials. Rick the Steiner Bros had their own commercial, and uh, Sting had his own commercial for a week. So, I mean, you know, we're back then as a kid, you know, that that was important. Like, oh man, they're on their own commercial. Now, granted, I only saw these commercials during WWT, <laughs> but but to me, you know, that just made it that made them bigger in life, you know. And then, um, yeah, Roos are awesome. I'd love to get a pair of Roos shoes. It'd be I, awesome. I, I mean, I could picture a young. Um Young, you would have been what, like uh, fourteen or something. Uh, no, I was a little younger than that. Thirteen. <laughs> uh, born in seventy-seven, so it was what? Yeah, yeah, thirteen, twelve, thirteen. And, and so, um, you know, pair of ruse, maybe some uh, some of the weightlifter pants, peg pants, <laughs> peg pants. And and, and and maybe a fanny pack like is it would that be would that be the wear of of a young John LaRocca if he could do it? Well, you know, it's nineteen ninety, so the bright colors are coming in, right? Mm-hmm. The neon mm-hmm. green, the neon blues. Um, I wanted the mullet haircut, like Lex <laughs> Luger. I didn't understand. Like, I looking back, I'm like, God, man, how did he get his hair looking so perfect? But I understand, like, he straightened it, you know, <laughs> yeah, 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 and all that stuff. Like, but yeah, I always wanted like the. Actually, I really wanted the. I did want the Luger haircut, but I ended up wanting the 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 awesome Scott Steiner haircut, like the <laughs> shaved sides and the mullet haircut. That's what I wanted eventually. All right, we're gonna take a quick break from the podcast to talk about. Roman. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually, we just brush it off or blame ourselves saying things like, I lost my mojo, or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about it with a real doctor who can prescribe real medication. It's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The doctor will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to getroman.com front slash blue wire and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a doctor and take care of it. Just go to getroman, G-E-T-R-O-M-A-N.com, front slash blue wire to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's getroman.com, front slash blue wire for a free visit to get started. Get Roman dot com front slash blue wire um okay so classic wcw uh production um there there's like big moves happening and what they're trying to do is they're trying to show how much the crowd is into the early part of this match because the match starts out super hot and so they're trying to show uh the action and then quick cut to the crowd to show that the crowd is like going ballistic but they don't get back to the action quick enough, and I think uh, Flair Flair uh, goes over the top rope or something, and you don't even even barely see it. So classic WCW production um, from back then. Um, hot start, fans are going nuts, like I said, and the the way that the heat starts is uh, the match goes outside, and then Flair you know 
gives a great eye poke, and 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 that's where he kind of starts taking over the match. But you know, I don't want to bury the lead on 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 the start because Pillman is on fire, and because Pillman is on fire, and Flair's you know bumping like crazy, the crowd is just ridiculous. Like it, you know. You watch wrestling today, and and you you don't rarely see a crowd uh, get that hot. But it, it was really hot and a perfect start. And you know, is is this is this you know this is sort of like normal flair? But um, you know, back then, back in 1990, are these like how are these guys uh, putting their matches together? Is it is it flair telling Pillman, okay, you know, here here are a couple things that I want to do, and this is how we're going to start. Um, I don't imagine that they were really going over a whole lot before the match, but but how how do, how do you put something you know how do you put something together like this? Well, back then most of the guys, you know, they called it in the ring. I mean, there probably maybe was like a cutoff spot. They said, hey, I'm, you know, like for example, this match we're gonna go outside. I'm gonna run away. You're gonna go get me, but we're gonna flip the switch a little bit. Instead of you kick my butt, throwing me back in the ring, I'm gonna poke your eye and take over from there. And you know maybe that, and they and they had to finish. But like nowadays, where guys go in the ring before a show, they go over every little spot. It looks really choreographed, and looks very performancey, I guess we call it. You know, and um, and back back then it was you know like this match here, like you could tell like they're not in sync on a lot of stuff sometimes. You know, it's it's rough. It's uh, it's it's violent. It's, it looks realistic, you mm-hmm. know, because they're calling it there. That's why I like the style when you call it in there. Because, like Jim Cornette famously said, like how can you give feed chicken to a vegetarian crowd, right? So mm-hmm. You don't know. Like the match you have planned in the back might sound great right then, but when you go out there, the crowd might not want that kind of match, right? You know? Right. So you just don't know. So you always have to have an ear open. And I know, like in this day and age. Of wrestling, like oh, that's what they do now. They call they call a lot of it in the back or practice before. But to me, like when guys can just go out there and work, listen to the crowd, like to me, those are the 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 top level workers. Like I mean, like a guy like Timothy Thatcher, like who wrestles in the UK now. Of course, he wrestled for me in APW and Premier, and he's a you know big time independent wrestling name out there, like. I just would love watching him get ready for a match because he never went over in the ring. If he's in the ring for a show, he's stretching. That's it. Like you never saw him like go over any spots with any guys, and he's just a he's just a genius. And um, and uh, that's the guy the guys respect, and those are the old school guys. And and that's how you kind of to me those are the superior workers, and that's that's kind of how they did back in the day, you know. And I think more guys should do that. I think they'll become better workers if they, if they go out there and call the match in the ring. And, and not, not to take away from from us talking about this match, but I actually uh, wanted to to go back to what you said about Thatcher. But so if Thatcher is working with a guy who is uh, very antsy about wanting to go over stuff, like how how do, how do they deal with that? Like how, how does how how do they uh, with their different styles, you know, communicate about, you know, either don't worry, like we'll be fine. Or, you know, is it okay? Well, you know, tell me what it's you more want. Like, from what I've seen, it's more like a brain, it's a brainstorming process, right? Maybe the guy has a couple ideas and he'll incorporate that. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. I can do this, do this and that, but it's not like, he's, you know, 
from my experience watching him, like he he's not a guy that's going to go out there and go, okay, first round lockup, then I'm going to grab an arm. And, you know, it's not one, two, three, four, five. It's like, we're going to do this. So they're, the fans are biting on this. We'll go this route, you know. And uh, it, that's, that's the way you have to work it, in my opinion. And um, to me, like I said, like even – our good friend Dave Dutra, who's who's a wrestler, and he made his return back to wrestling after a couple of years of retirement. Like he wrestled one match with Thatcher, and all they had was the finish, and that was the DET. That was it. That's all they had. And it was like one of Dutra's best matches he's ever had, and he's learned so much from just that one match because he went out there and they both listened to that crowd and they built a match from there. And that's what these guys did here. Brian Pillman and Flair—they're out there and they're just and they're just going i'm sure they had the spot with the uh the sunset flip or you know that's gonna that they you know they're in the match pillman does a sunset flip they get close to the ropes woman's supposed to slap brian pillman break the pin fall pin count up but unfortunately it sounded probably good in their head like yeah well you know or or, or maybe just worked out that way because like he was too far and she had to reach over it just didn't work so she had to like re-slap him again and kind of in front of the referee, but you know, the referee let it go a little bit, and then of course that eventually led towards the finish of the of the match. So, um, classic, you know, classic Flair style match. You know, shine up the baby face early, take over in the middle, set up the comeback, and um, you know, like you said, uh, Pillman's big move uh, at that point was uh, that springboard clothesline, which was. Uh, you know, it was new, it was innovative, it was athletic, uh, it looked great. Uh, and that was, you know, that, that was the sign to the fans. Like when he hits that on flair, that's the sign to the fans where they go, okay, I wasn't sure if he had a chance to win this match, but now he has a chance and I'm even more bought into the match. Um, take me through great near fall. I know you know the end of this match uh, like the back of your hand. So take us through from the springboard clothesline to the end of the match and uh, and, and to the finish. Oh, now now you put me on the spot. Now I'm like, wait, come on, you you know, know you know this. I know, I know, I do know the finish is the flying crossbody. Pillman goes to the top. He's going for the big flying crossbody, which is the move that he used to always go over you with the flying crossbody at the top rope or the springboard clothesline. So springboard clothesline did not work. He heads to the top, goes for a crossbody, hits it. The flare rolls through one, two, three in the trunks, you know, protecting Pillman just a little bit there with that. And flare gets out of the ring. He's beaten. He's like, just like been in a war and he really puts Brian Pillman over. I mean, even though Pillman lost the fall, you know, like in the end, like you felt Pillman didn't lose anything, but just gained a lot, you know, and that's what a great worker can do with his opponent. You know, he's, he beats his opponent at the end. He can make him stronger coming out of it. And that's what a lot of people don't, like I, when I work, like, work with young, some young guys and they're going to lose a match and they get kind of like all kind of bummed. Cause you know, there's, this is wrestling and it's an ego driven business and there's egos involved. And I know we're saying all oh, you know, wrestling's fake and it's BS, but like in reality, you know, these guys have, you know, egos and they don't want to lose and no one wants to be the guy in the losing end. So like, but you can still get over by losing, you know, with that time. And, um, and this is a perfect example. Like they didn't have a lot of minutes. This match was like 11 minutes long, you know, but they used every minute and made every minute count. And in the end, Pillman's up 
I mean, he's, you know, he lost, but he's still, he's even, he's in a better position than he was before he walked out that curtain in that match. Flair has all the heat going into his world title match at WrestleWare 90 with Lex Luger. I mean, it was a perfect scenario. And uh, we will have uh, a segment on this show called Big Dave Says, and, and Big Dave is Big Dave Meltzer, because, you know, we are lucky to have access to the uh, the historical brain uh, of Dave Meltzer. So uh, and and maybe maybe he'll he'll do a run in on on a show or two, uh, you know, if he if he's uh, if he's available. But um, he said, and and I asked him. So I asked him basically, you know, was there any consideration of having Pillman do the Rust War match instead of Lex Luger? And because um, that's something that you always said was that you know you really wish that they let Pillman so that they could keep Luger heel. And let Pillman have mm-hmm. the one match with Flair, uh, and 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 keep and keep Luger heel and just sort of do that one-off match because you know the fans would sort of understand uh, the you know the, at least the ones that knew that Sting was hurt for real would understand that hey like this this is what happened and and you know here we're gonna get uh, someone who may not be in the main event picture necessarily but is a, is a fan favorite and and uh, you think that the fans would have been okay with that now. He said there was no thought about that, and it was always going to be uh, it was always going to be Luger. Um, and he said that uh, Pillman and Flair did uh, um, a couple of house shows, I think, around that time. But other than that, there was just no consideration for Pillman in, in this match, and it was always going to be Luger. Um, so uh, after this match, um, you know, Pillman uh, Pillman is. You know, probably slightly hurt by the the politics uh, of the situation around this time, as, as, at least uh, uh, for being sort of like a, a babyface single star. Um, according to uh, according to the book, um, there was talks of a heel turn by Pillman to join the Horsemen, um, but soon thereafter, uh, Flair quit as Booker, and so. With him sort of being out of, of being the decision maker, um, a lot of ideas or possible ideas for, for Pillman uh, may, maybe didn't come to fruition. Um, and so there was a story, and, and I think you know the story better than me, um, but basically Jim Cornette saw uh, this opportunity as a way to get Pillman over and do so in a feud with uh, Pillman and Zinc and the Midnight Express. How, how did that go down and, and, and sort of what was behind that? Well, at the time, um, Cornette was on the booking committee with Flair. Flair, you know, surrounded himself with some really great minds. He had Kevin Sullivan, and he had Jim Cornette. And, you know, Flair loved him, of course, and really wanted to put him over strong and put him in a program where in the end he was going to be on top. And Jim Cornette was all for it, and he wanted to be a part of that. And at the time, of course, they put Pillman and Tom Zink, the Z-Men, together as like I said, the babyface tag team, the good looking, two look good looking guys, drawing those girls like the Rock and Roll Express or the Fantastics. And it was like them versus the Midnight Express is just like a perfect matchup because, you know, Midnight Express were the, cl- were the classic foes for the Rock and Rolls and the Fantastics. So, so that was the program. And the booking, original booking idea was they were going to injure Pillman with his, with his throat. Because you know, Pillman had this raspy voice from all these uh, these throat surgeries he had from these polyps in his throat, and they were going to use that angle, and that was going to lead to a big match. Where you know, during the match, 
Tom Zink gets injured. It's basically, you know, two on one with Pillman. Pillman beats Stan Lang up. He beats Bobby Eaton up. And then he, you know, then he gets hand Jim Cornette, beats him up. And he's just this super strong baby face out of it. Well, unfortunately, due to politics, Flair quits his booker. Ole Anderson slides in. And um, basically, Ole goes with what he knows. And that's pretty much the Midnight Express as U.S. Tag Champions puts the belts back on them. And then I think Cornette just told a recent story about this on his, his podcast. Like Ole Anderson told Cornette when they were going over, he's like, beat him with a wrestling hold. You know, like <laughs> <laughs> he wanted to go over strong, which is funny because the next wrestle, like they were a joke. They would lose all over the house shows, but they would always been on these pay-per-views and clashes. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so of course, you know, the Men express at Capital combat 90 on, uh, I think it was May 19th. They, uh, they regained the United States championship. And then Pillman was kind of like in limbo from that point on, you know, he from didn't really have much. I mean, he had good matches, but he was never really featured. He's kind of like the opening card baby face at that time. And so, um, a couple of months later, uh, after this match, maybe, maybe three months, almost three months, there was another flair versus Pillman match. Uh, but it was actually in the AWA, uh, and it was, um, I guess WCW paying back some favors, uh, for talent. Uh, is that, is that, is that why uh, they got Flair and Pillman as the main event? Yeah. Like right after, um, Russell War 90, Arn Anderson had a neck, his neck injury, his, uh, herniated disc, which is end up plaguing him for the rest of his career and cutting his career a little shorter than he probably wanted to. Um, he was out for months and Ole Anderson was, you know, he came back. He wasn't really supposed to be in the as wrestling as a horseman for long, but he ended up had to wrestle a little bit more than he probably wanted to because, you know, Tolly Blanchard was coming back, he ended up failing the drug test at WWF. And when that happened, Jim Hurd cut the their contracts between both Arn and Tolly in half. I think they were supposed to get hundred and twenty five thousand and getting like seventy five thousand or something like that. Some some and of course Tolly was very upset and then he didn't come in, so Oli did a more active in-ring role during the months of December to February. And so they needed someone to, on the horseman side. They weren't horseman members, but they end up getting uh, on loan from the AWA, the destruction crew, which is Mike Enos and Wayne, the train bloom, but they were under hoods and they were called the Minnesota wrecking crew. Number two, because Oli and Gene Anderson were famously known as the Minnesota wrecking crew in the Carolinas legendary tag team. But it was funny because me, like I was, like I said, I, I devoured all this stuff, all this wrestling stuff, and so they they really didn't hide. <laughs> they really wasn't <laughs> a mask. They really didn't hide. Like this was Wayne the Train Bloom and Mike Enos. Now, granted, most people probably weren't watching AWA, but um, I was a freak back then, as much as I am now about wrestling, where I watch everything. You know, I searched out for anything that took place within the ring, and I'd watch the, even those really bad AWA shows on ESPN during the dying days. And, like, it's basically just the Minnesota Red Crew or Destruction Crew with just these red masks, but they had the Destruction Crew tight. So I, it was, but I was excited. I was like, great, they're here. They're in an NWA or <laughs> WCW because I really liked them, and they were just a great, great, great tag team. And, and it's unfortunately never got to do anything bigger. Um, I mean, they went to the WWF as the Beverly Brothers, but they just that was a, just a horrible gimmick for them. That was just didn't fit them. They're good mechanics in the ring. It's just 
is unfortunate because uh, Wayne Blaine, true Wayne the Train Bloom can really talk, and they had a great shtick where the promos will always start with Mike Enos starting the promo, but then Wayne the Train Bloom will always cut him off like, "It's okay, Mike, I can handle it. I'll handle this." And he never like Mike never got a, a say in for the <laughs> promo. It was, just, it was awesome. It was probably building up to maybe a turn, but like they're a really good team. And they had, they had some really good matches with Steiners on TV. And then and after that, I think, you know, WCW replay, uh, repaid them with the uh, Flair Pillman main event, which I don't know if the film exists, but I would love to see that match. I'm sure it was a, I'm sure it was a hell of a match. Um, and the other, uh, the other singles matchup that, uh, that is well known is, uh, April of 1991, uh, WCW Saturday night, um, Pillman gets the visual pin, but then a double A and the great Eligante interfere in that match. So they, they would have a match, you know, about 14 months later that was on WCW Saturday night again. Um, and that is, you know, that is, uh, I guess a month or two before flair leaves for, for WWF. Um, and then, you know, down the line, the Hollywood blondes against the horsemen would be another, opportunity for them to face off and you know we may we may cover cover one of those uh down the line but uh those those are the those are the flair pillman uh matches in in that era um and uh and yeah so i i guess the 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 story and and i just recently watched the wwf uh dvd that they did on on brian pillman um and just to see uh, see Brian's drive to to be, he almost took sort of like a, like if you if you took like a great athlete and someone who's very driven, and the only way the athlete knows how to succeed is to just sort of work their ass off and learn as much about you know getting better as they could. Like that's how Brian Pillman's wrestling career was, and then when his athletic ability. Uh, goes away from him because of, of accidents and and and, and such. Uh, he he has to you know sort of use his brain uh, to 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 continue to be successful. And so you know just a very a very interesting uh, career for him. Uh, one that that you know you kind of wish that that a couple of things uh, may have gone a little bit differently and, and it could have meant that he, you know, he, 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 his uh, fate in wrestling and not, not, you know, obviously he, he passed, he passed away at a very young age. I'm not even talking about that. I'm just talking about, you know, sort of how his career was going, you know, he doesn't get hurt or, um, you know, cause he, he's sort of like the, the, the biggest free agent in, in wrestling at a, at a time. And then, you know, he, then he gets hurt and he can't really fulfill what, what he was, uh, trying to fulfill. So, uh, very interesting, uh, very interesting story. Uh, the couple of things that I can that I can point out that if you want to know more about Pillman, I already talked about that book, Crazy Like a Fox. I'm not even done with it, but I got to a point to where uh, I, I wanted to talk about this match, so I kind of stopped reading it because I didn't want to keep going in the book. That's great. I mentioned the WWE DVD, and the and the other thing, and I, and I think the the other thing is kind of like where everything starts getting pieced together is uh is big dave's observer uh on pillman when he passed away like those are three if you want to learn about brian pillman those are like three major things that that you should go ahead and look for um any last thoughts around this match around this sort of this time frame and what you remember um i just i think people who haven't who haven't seen it and they're listening to this podcast they want to check it out i think they should do that right away i mean it's one of, if like if I you ask me to list like your top ten favorite 
television matches, I think it would probably rank up there pretty high for me. You know, I mean, I like I said, I've watched this match hundreds of times and you know, watched it recently. And then my wife even has a really cool video. Then I was watching it and my daughter, she must have been, I don't know, not even one yet, but she's sitting there and she was on the floor watching this matchup with me. And she's like glued to the television and I don't let her watch wrestling now, but like then, you know, I had it on and it was like, I'm sitting there like, you know what? This match is damn good. And she's probably like, this is something amazing. <laughs> you know? So, uh, but yeah, it's just, it's just, it's, it's a phenomenal match and a, and a look at a point in time that what could have been a lot, with a lot of things, you know, around this time. And mainly, you know, when it comes to Pillman, it's like, it's just, unf- you know, his career just goes up and down, up and down, up and down like a yo-yo. And it kind of, you know, I was thinking about this today about Pillman and his journey. It's kind of almost like, like Cody Rhodes is kind of going through that same thing, you know, like his career at WWF starting up and down. And he has like this drive, you know, this drive to be successful, this drive to be a main guy. And like Pillman had that same drive and, and Cody has that same drive now. And, and, and so it's kind of cool. Like, I, you know, I think it's why I kind of root for Cody, you know, like you really want to be successful because of that drive. And, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and, um, I think, you know, if someone doesn't get an accident and all that, and, you know, I, I really think he would have been, that run in WWF would have been something special. Or not. In fact, maybe he doesn't, maybe he doesn't go to WWF. Right? He really wanted to stay in WCW. He just wanted to get paid more and be in the top position. But either way, I think he would have been uh, an even more legendary figure than he is now, you know. Mm-hmm. So the next uh, the next episode, episode two of the uh, We Want Flair podcast, is going to be the Battle of the Belts, Ric Flair and Barry Windham. Uh, just tee up, just tease a little bit uh, of why that match is, is fairly important uh, and why we want to talk about it. Um, it won uh, the match of the year, 1986, a wrestling server. Um, it one of Flair's all-time great greatest matches. I mean, even though Rick Steamboat is Flair's most legendary opponent, like for me, when it comes to like Flair matches, and it's my favorite opponent for him is actually Barry Windham. And this is my favorite of their series of matches, and it, it is freaking awesome. I'm looking forward to watching it. Again, I'm looking forward to you watching it <laughs> um, because you are going to love it. I, I'm sure anyone will love it. So they should yeah, check it I, out. yeah. I, I, I'm um, almost sure I've never seen this match. Yeah, so I mean, it's it's great to kind of relive all these matches, these great flair matches, and these matches that it's so funny. These matches, these matches like this stand out. Like I've talked about these matches with so many people, you know, like this pillow match, like. My 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 best friend, you know Tom Caster, who's a referee right now for WWE and NXT. Like we would reference this match like all the time. You know, we pop it in and watch it. You know, the the Flair Tillman one I'm talking about, even the Flair uh, Barry Windham one. We thought we'd we'd watch it too. And these like matches like we would recommend people to watch and and to learn from. So like it, it's really cool. But it's really it's a lot of fun revisiting these matches. And I'm looking forward to this series and continuing and finding what new flair matches I can come up with so we can watch. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. So, uh, so thanks for, for jumping on. Uh, like I said, the next time that we do this, it'll, it'll be in person. Um, but we wanted to kickstart this. So I hope you enjoyed, 
uh, us going back in time to early WCW 1990. Um, and, uh, and we will go back further in time with episode two. So for a John LaRocca, who you can find on Twitter at LaRocca John, L-A-R-O-C-C-A. No, no, LaRocca JL. Come on. Oh, sorry, no. sorry, sorry, sorry. LaRocca JL. <laughs> I, I always, I always forget you have the, the JL, uh, on there. Um, who, who is the wrestler, Mr. JL? It's not, it's not, <laughs> I know it's funny people say that, but it's not, it's just, it's my middle name is Lewis. <laughs> that's how it came about. So there you go. Uh, Very creative. That, that's the way that I'm going to remember it though. This is Mr. J. Yeah, Mr. I know a lot of people do. Yeah. Um, okay. Sorry. LaRocca JL. I always, I screw that up every time, <laughs> by the way. Um, and, and, uh, and, and, uh, I'm double G, uh, thanks for joining. We will see you when we see you. Peace out.